Many episodes ago, I said that Lewis Hamilton had equaled one of F1's greatest records. Last Sunday, he smashed it. Let's get started. Sebastian Vettel's got it to Max Verstappen. And under braking, Leclerc has gone into the barriers at the penultimate turn. Perez ahead of Stroll, ahead of Ricardo behind. Oh, it's a tight finish. It's a photo finish. Adding another championship to his collection. It's Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. Yes, listeners, this is the news that Lewis Hamilton has broken Michael Schumacher's race win record at the Portuguese Grand Prix last Sunday. A massive achievement that indisputably makes him one of the best drivers ever. But does this remarkable achievement make him, quote, the best of all time, undisputably? Is the debate over? Is it now irrelevant as to whether or not Lewis Hamilton beats Schumacher's driver's championship record of seven? Because, well, he's won more races than Schumacher at 26 circuits compared to the Germans' 22. Or are you of the belief that because Schumacher has won seven drivers' championships despite only starting on pole 68 times compared to Hamilton's whopping 97 to date, does Lewis Hamilton need to beat all of the records set by Michael Schumacher before he can finally and unanimously be called the best F1 driver of all time? Will the debate ever be settled? What do we think? I don't think the debate will be settled because I think people are too have less not as much respect for Hamilton as they do for other like past drivers in history so I think there'll always be people who like will put him down and say he's not the greatest I think I think he quite possibly is obviously there's no way of us knowing and we talked so long ago I can't even remember how many episodes ago about that um those stats done by Amazon about who was the quickest or who's the best and they tried to compare all the old drivers and nowadays and I, I don't think, obviously, and that was rubbish, and we'll know that we'll never know, but I think it's time that he does, deserves the respect, and we say that we count him up there as, but I don't, as your question asked, Tom, I don't think that it will ever be settled, because I think too many people have a problem with the way he goes about his his life, and the way he goes about his campaigning, and, uh, like, the way he goes about uh, being a part of F1, so, personally, I think that he's done it, like, he's achieved it, and I think that, yeah, you're right, beating um, the seven the seven titles will or equaling the seven titles will also help um but i think that in my opinion he's made it now what makes the driver though the best driver in the world is it smashing records is that is that it because well, it's got to be it goes along with it but it has you, to be surely you can't, no because I mean... it can't it can't because this is the whole point of the debate isn't it and I highlighted this back when we were talking about the Amazon. I highlighted this when I was chatting in my in the special we did about with about Damon Hill and his father, Graham. It, it however however much you like to put one driver on a pedestal, someone can always come back to you and say, Well, yes, but such and such did this. Hamilton will always be remembered as probably the best driver of my generation and I like those I like that labeling much more than I do the best driver in history because that it allows a bit more flexibility and also I think I sort of like Hamilton when um when he talks about these these sort of statistics in the fact that it doesn't actually really necessarily matter. It's a bit like how in Formula One, only one driver is allowed to have the number one number on the front of their car. 
Who is that, everybody? Who else number one? I don't know. Who else number well, one? Well, Hamilton doesn't because he chooses to take 44. Exactly. The only person who's allowed... No, the only person who's allowed to have number one on the front of the car is the current world champion. I actually did not know that. Yes. The last person to have it on the front of their car was Sebastian Vettel. The reason why Hamilton doesn't put it on his car is because he says that every year he reminds himself that the championship is new. He is not counting his chickens and he sticks with number 44 because that's the code for the UK. And I think he gets it right, actually, in the fact that it doesn't actually matter who's the best ever because it's an unanswerable question. You're effectively trying to prove a negative here. Someone can always come back and... and provide a little bit of evidence to the contrary he is without doubt the uh, driver who holds the most wins and he has the you know highest number of consecutive race finishes is that correct i think that's yeah i think he got as well you can always add those things to the driver's title but that doesn't necessarily mean he's the best in the world you know best ever because it's such a pointless exercise trying to debate that one out but he's definitely the best of our, our generation. So to answer your question, Tom, it won't. The debate won't stop just because he's smashed through this yet another record. What about between him and Schumacher then, in that case? If we're not going for total drivers, does he need to beat the championship record, i.e. get seven or more to be considered better than Michael if we're going for a binary discussion? I, I don't know why, but I feel like now he's got the race wins. I feel like people have sort of... Except I accepted that that's it now, <laughs> and I've kind of not, and they're not thinking quite so much about the titles. But you're right; it probably will be will make it more than the argument of that he is the best more legitimate when that's the case. But I don't know if it's like wholly necessary for people to make that argument. If that makes yeah. sense. And I like the fact that there is a debate. It brings it's much more interesting debating with someone between Hamilton or Schumacher because you can bring in these lovely arguments like, ah, oh, well, Schumacher had to win in a Ferrari that wasn't that competitive. And then you might say, well, Hamilton had to had came in as a rookie and therefore demonstrated his ability. I like the fact that there's not an answer. That's, that's, that's way more interesting because then we get to have these lovely conversations about how Hamilton is a really successful driver, but here's another really successful driver of a different era. It allows you to explore the other options. It allows you to explore the a bit more history it's just in my head way more interesting to not have the question answered especially not answered by a damn ai (laughs) yeah i think you make a fair point there tristan about yeah it's it's good to have these debates it's good to like because if you don't if you don't have the debate about the greatest you also you don't have those benchmarks as to for, for drivers to aspire to like, without Schumacher being sort of up there, there would never have been the benchmark for people like Hamilton or Vettel to aspire to. So I think the fact that there's always those... Like, Michael Schumacher said it himself, records are there to be broken. He was quoted in an interview, I think, as saying he never considered in his head he was breaking records, that he was just setting his own benchmarks, which were there for other people to aspire to. So that will always, in my opinion, leave open the debate for who is the greatest. I think you can only really say who's the greatest if you've like been around long enough to see everyone in action. So if you if you had seen Fangio, if you'd seen Senna and Schumacher, and even like older ones like Jackie Stewart, Jim Clark, Alan Prost, and then you were seeing Hamilton in this generation, only then I think would you be able to definitively compare. Or you, and even then you can't really compare because the differences between eras are so great. 
for us as as uh, sort of late nine born in the late nineties, we've only really seen Hamilton, Alonso, and Vettel, and a bit of Schumacher in his later years. So we can't really say, oh, Hamilton is the greatest, like definitively. He's for sure the greatest of our generation, um, and I think he, there's a very strong argument for him to be the greatest of all time because of mainly because we look at the statistics also the fact his longevity he's been he's been around at the top of his game for 14 years now plus and probably has a couple of years left in him um but at the same time to answer your question the original question tom the, the debate will never sort of i mean the, I, yeah i think the debate will just just keep raging on um but that's what you want you don't want to close debate in sport in sport or any any like context of life really you don't like that just makes it boring so it's good it's good that the discussion remains open, but I think Hamilton does make a fair argument um, based on what he's achieved to be claimed as the greatest. And further to those, there are there are problems with there are problems sort of compounding why Hamilton might not be the best driver ever. I'm not saying he he should or shouldn't be classed as the best driver ever, but when you deal with drivers who drove during the the 60s, for example. Lots of people like to bring up Jim Clark, who died before his time, or people like uh, Graham Hill, who is the only driver in history to get the Triple Crown of motorsport, and Lewis Hamilton hasn't done that. So, again, there's there's something fun about being able to write a, an argument on why Lewis Hamilton is the best, and then go, well, actually, hold on a minute, I'm going to look at Jim Clark. Oh, well, maybe he's the best, or... Jackie Stewart, why why is he the best? And that's as you I completely agree with Angus. It's just a lot of fun not knowing and we'll never know. I guess it also what just going along with what Tristan was just saying, like the machinery that they're handling was just so different and the skill required, you could argue, may have been so much more back when the the, the um engineering advancements didn't help the drivers so much as they do today. So there's no real way to make a comparison. And in a way, I quite like the sense that we don't, I don't want to know. I don't really want to have to sit down and compare every great driver that the sport's experienced and who's the real best, who's, because it's just great to have all these like legends amongst the sport and like people look up to all of them. And I just, just as long as they're all equally considered, like I don't like the idea of someone like Lewis being like not considered because people don't like him or whatever. As long as they're all equally considered, I don't think there needs to be a specific winner as it were, but, but just all treated as as great. See, I, I asked this question and I make this statement because yeah, BBC Sport and Sky Sports both ran with the digital headline of Lewis Hamilton is the greatest Formula One driver of all time. Full stop. Very interesting comments there from two massive um, transnational uh, media corporations to be making that claim, don't you think? But um, I digress. But that's because Amin's catered to an, an audience that perhaps doesn't want to know about the nitty-gritty history. And it's interesting it's that a very simple claim nonetheless, sure. Yeah, but it's a very simple way to look at it, and it's a perfectly valid way to look at it if you only want to take that sort of position. For example, a really good example is what we were talking about earlier when we were discussing whether or not Ferrari, how good Ferrari was. If you look at the time traps, you'll find that Ferrari are the fastest or one of the fastest cars on the grid in terms of what speed actually is. They just hit the highest top speed. But when you take a look at the track as a whole, you'll find out that their aero means they don't corner very quickly. So let's. I think that's a good example of what, what maybe the BBC are talking about. Lewis Hamilton might well be the most successful, the greatest driver by the, the one measurement. 
But again, you have to take a look at the track as a whole. You have to take a look at the picture as a whole. And as Ferrari has demonstrated, top speed isn't everything. And I think Lewis Hamilton knows as well that winning isn't everything because we haven't taken into account how teams manipulate the race either. For example, Mercedes putting Bottas onto the same tyres as, as Hamilton because they that's their rule they set. And therefore, they knew Bottas would never catch up with Hamilton. So, yes, he won that race. But what would have happened if if the team had let Bottas or Bottas had caught up? You know, we don't we don't know these things. And there's more to it than perhaps meets the eye. So mysterious. Ooh. <laughs> it's spooky season. So It is, it is. This is our nearest what? episode for Halloween. Yeah. Maybe we should have a Halloween special. <laughs> <laughs> Just call this one the Halloween special and we've got it out of the way. <laughs> Pumpkin Spice Portugal. Oh, oh my lord! No way! <laughs> I, will, I will leave if that is the title. <laughs> oh dear! Right. And another mystery in the F1 world is the fact that Sergio Perez is still without a seat for the 2021 season. Angus, go ahead. Yes, thank you, Tom. So, Sergio Perez, as we have discussed before, has, was unceremoniously dumped by Racing Point for 2021 to be replaced by Sebastian Vettel. And unsurprisingly, due to his not just great performances in this year, but throughout his time in Formula One, he's quite he's probably the hottest commodity on the current driver market. Um, he's been linked with various seats. We've discussed in previous podcasts about the possible links to Red Bull and taking the second seat alongside Max Verstappen. The other vacancies which have come up recently, such as the two seats at Haas, um, although that looks like that might be going in a different direction to Perez. They might be going for youth instead. And also with Alfa Romeo, which of course has question marks around the future of Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi. However, a recent report which has come out suggested that uh, Williams, the new owners, Derilton Capital, who possibly understandably looking to come in, make an impression, have a fresh start, they're considering bringing in Perez to the team uh, for 2021, which would be an interesting move because it would definitely be a step backwards for Perez. However, the possibly the shock horror that many of the listeners, and I, I, I'm sure us, may, um, us four on the podcast, may be horrified to hear about, they may be considering replacing George Russell with Perez, not Nicholas Latifi, the pay driver who lags behind and struggles to keep up with his teammate, but George Russell, the promising young Brit who's done almost nothing wrong in his almost two years in Formula One so far. Um, now, you may think, hang on, this is ridiculous. Why would they replace one of the up and coming uh, best talents in Formula One, especially an up and coming British talent? Um, but at the same time, Having done some research, there are possibly, I hate to say it, some reasons why Williams's thinking may sort of not be justified, but I can see why they are possibly going down this route. The fact I said about how they want a fresh start and that they want to bring in a new driver, um, they may not think that Russell is capable of leading the team yet. He's, he's still very young, he's still only 22, still only his second year of Formula One. And also, what I think is a major factor is that of course, we know George Russell is a Mercedes junior driver and he's been placed in the Williams seat to gain experience before you presume he gets a promotion to Mercedes, either to replace Valtteri Bottas and be Lewis Hamilton's teammate or to replace Hamilton if he retires in the next, say, 12 to 18 months. Um, so Williams know that eventually they're going to lose Russell and they know that he's not a long-term prospect. 
So maybe the owners are thinking that it would make sense for them to bring in Perez, who at 31, I believe, is still definitely one for the future, still got many years left in him. You add to that the major amount of funding that Perez brings from uh, being backed by Carlos Slim, one of the richest men in the world. And also the fact that Nicholas Latifi, if you look at what they bring to the team, George at the moment, George Russell obviously brings a high level of performance. Um, and he still has the remarkable statistic of having outqualified his teammate in every single race in his F1 career so far, which was kept up in Portugal. But at the same time, Nicholas Latifi is also heavily backed by sponsorship. And whilst he may not have the ta- as much talent to back it up as Sergio Perez does, the sponsorship is a key aspect. Williams may have just been invested by these new owners, but at the same time, they are still struggling. They're still at the back of the grid. And they would need a lot of funding, not just to rescue the team financially, but also to progress up the grid, like I'm sure the aim of, like I'm sure the new owners have as an aim. So I hate to say it, but I wouldn't completely rule, rule it out this possible move, Perez to replace Russell at Williams. Whilst it would be, I'm sure, heartbreaking for a lot of us, I do still think that George Russell, like, I'm definitely sure that he'll find a seat, if not next year, but the year after. It may be a situation like Esteban Ocon had, where he had to take a year out of Formula One. There may, I mean, you never know, there may still be an outside chance that George Russell may get a Mercedes seat next year. I'm not saying that that's likely, but if he was to be replaced at Williams, then I'm sure Toto Wolff would be desperate to keep the main sort of the main talent in the Mercedes in the Mercedes Junior driver program. They w- would definitely want to uh, keep him occupied and keep him driving and keep on developing in Formula One. Um, so yeah, I'd say it's an interesting one. It, I wouldn't say it necessarily would happen, but I mean, stranger things have happened in Formula One. Um, so I honestly wouldn't rule it out. In terms of um, other stuff to do with Sergio Perez, um, one of the reasons I spoke about why he is such a commodity is that his performances on track continue to amaze and impress. Um, He seems to be having a phenomenal 2020 uh, season, with the race in Portimao being another example of this. Uh, Qualified in fifth place, uh, was spun on lap one by Max Verstappen, a racing incident, admittedly. Verstappen could not do much to avoid the contact and Perez was just taking the normal line around the outside. It's one of those, yeah, it just happened. But Perez, after he pitted, did a storming drive back to seventh place in the end, pulled up to as high as fifth, um, but it was overtaken by Pierre Gasly in a, and if you go look it up online, an overtake which Gasly completed in the end, but the first attempt he made on lap 64, Perez made a, a very late move. I've, I can't remember many sort of moves which have been on the straight which have been made lap late. One of the rules in Formula One, if you're not aware, is how drivers when they're defending a position have to make a move to a part of the track, whether that's inside or outside, and stick there. Now of course you can try and move late, but you can't move in reaction to a driver going past you. You have to make your decision uh, before the driver attempts to pass you. Because otherwise, it'd just it'd just be unfair. You could just weave about, and then the driver would never get past, and that would be dangerous. But Perez made a move, which, in my opinion, if Gasly hadn't got past him on the next lap, then he may well have got punished for it because it was very late. If Gasly hadn't been um, so quick to react, who knows? It could have been an enormous crash. Um, so I think Perez kind of got away with one there, but despite, in the end, he got just a he got just a reprimand. I think mainly because he was passed. But if he'd kept that position, he may well have got a penalty. Despite this, still coming back to coming back to seventh, having dropped to last on the first lap. In admittedly, a, a racing point car with a lot of race pace, but still, 
Um, a very good comeback drive. Um, Perez making waves on the track still and possibly making waves into that Williams seat off the track. Um, and that's a, a story which I'm sure we will um, we'll hear more about in the next few weeks uh, and towards the end of the season. A couple of questions for you guys. Can I may, I've laid out the reasons why the Williams owners may have reasons to replace George Russell with Sergio Perez. Um, and, I, and I think there's a chance of it happening, but I wouldn't say it's likely. Can you guys see it happening, um, Russell replacing Perez at Williams? And also, what do you guys think about the, his late move on Gasly? And do you think it deserved a penalty? I read earlier that speaking with a downwards inflection provides the speaker with an enhanced air of authority. Now, usually I speak with a slightly upwards inflection as it sounds much friendlier. But for what I'm going to say, I think we're going to go down. George Russell is the most up-and-coming driver currently in the sport. And if Williams remove him from it, then they do not deserve to win anything. It would be an insult to the Williams name and demonstrates the poor situation that F1 is in, prioritising money over talent. Now, luckily, Toto Wolff has told George Russell that he will have a seat next year, so I guess there's hope. Nice. The thing that bothers me most that bothers me so much is George was really gutted at the end of this year at the end of well yeah end of this season when he was told by Williams he was not allowed to go anywhere else cough Mercedes because that's or anything like higher than Williams because like that's where he wanted to go but he was told he was not allowed to go anywhere else because he was contractually obliged to stay at Williams for his entire the pre predetermined like contract length he was, he was gutted, but in interviews he explained, I'm disappointed, but at the end of the day, I've signed it and I'm loyal to Williams. Now I'm just mad because now we're having all this, like, they might just drop him. If he's signed a contract, it should go both ways. If he's not allowed to go anywhere, he, they shouldn't be able to get rid of him. Like, he's, he's fully, according to the legal documents, he's fully committed to the next year with them. So they, that seat shouldn't be an option, in my opinion, for Perez to be even looking at. Like, that seat is taken, like, but goodbye. However, <laughs> with the situation that is going on with COVID and the financial struggles that everyone's having, like, obviously, it's clear that this is something that's having a huge effect on the smaller teams like Williams, and they need the money. But God, I just wish it wasn't the case. It's It makes me so angry at the sport, like, so angry that the fact that this is how it might have to be, just money, about the money and not and not the talent. And you're right. We we've said it time and time again. We love George Russell not just because you know he's pretty cute, but <laughs> but because he is such a talent, like such a talent, and that he could be a future world champion. And it really does make me angry when he he sacrifices things for Williams, and he does care about them, and he's very loyal to them. And then they might just chuck him aside because of money. And I think the way that the, the the grid is lining up for next year, there might if he was chucked, I don't know if there would be a seat for him. Um, maybe he might have to take a break like Ocon and I just hate that fact when he's better than other people who would be who would be there. Isn't it just a symptom of the wider rot that seems to have set into the core of Formula One at the moment? When we talk about people like Nikita Mazepin, who is only coming into the sport because he's got a billionaire papa, or Lance Stroll, who only got into the sport because Papa Stroll decided to buy a team. It's 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 symptomatic of of the, the the wider issue here that they could even consider removing Russell when Latifi is atrocious. Perez should re- would just should replace 
Latifi because let's face it, they can bring in similar money. If Williams is okay now, and okay, I get that teams need a you know a driver that brings in the cash and a, and they need that sort of extra sponsorship. But let's face it, they could remove Latifi, replace him with Perez, and Perez would bring in the, the sweet dosh. And we'd still have George Russell in the seat, which is what, what most people care about. I mean, the fact that Toto Wolff has come out in favour of Russell shows you how dire the situation now is. I think we're unfortunately in a situation where we could see George Russell leave Williams purely because Williams are looking at it as a straight fight between uh, Russell and Perez moving forwards if they choose to do so. And if you're looking at the racing records and achievements... There is really no comparison at the moment. That's not George Russell's fault. That's because, obviously, he's far younger than Perez, and Perez has had, i said it before I say it again, a really good career considering the lacklustre cars he's been with. So in that regard, I can see it happening as sort of how morally wrong as it is moving forwards. It's interesting, though, that Mercedes say Russell will get a seat because I think, or would have thought prior to this statement, that he would do a knock-on and then come back, maybe in a more senior team or, in fact, in the Mercedes car itself. I can't see Bottas staying any longer the next season unless, by some form of divine intervention and miracle, he's able to win the Drivers' World Championship I personally and I personally do not believe that is something that will occur and therefore I think he is likely to perhaps be dumped by Mercedes if they're continuing to be at the front of the grid. You're all completely right though in the terms of how immoral it is but unfortunately this is the sort of field in which we play F1 or view it and therefore we can't sort of change or determine the the factors of it regardless of how we feel about it and rightly feel about it. So that's that one. Secondly, Perez was a bit lucky in terms of that uh, that incident with Verstappen. It could have ended far worse. We saw that Verstappen was a bit um, gung-ho, shall we say, at the Portuguese Grand Prix. We saw that with the incident with Stroll, not only with his racing action, but also his language that he used, which uh, we all know about. Not exactly a great look for the young Dutchman there. But the fact, once again, that Perez was able to get away with an error and come back and and still show his quality to me, it just surmises why this man has to be in the sport, because he is, what, 31, 32 years old, he's got so little time left in the sports. Thankfully, as we've seen with George Russell, and seen via the Ocon model, that you can take a year out if worse comes to worse, not actually race, be a reserve driver, and then come back. So, I don't know. I I, I want to see Perez before he goes because I know that Russell will have a future in Formula One, whatever happens. I think it's sad that you said we can't do anything about it. It's so it makes me so angry that this is what the sport is about. Like yeah, it is about money. About it shouldn't it. be. Do fans matter? Let's all boycott. Well, it's boycott. I, I, no. <laughs> I was, just don't buy their really expensive jumpers anymore. Does anyone have <laughs> one of those? Does anyone that here works. actually uh, have a like a hoodie from or a or a overthrow from? I don't know, McLaren or Mercedes or anything. I have no, I don't have a hoodie. I just have a McLaren have a T-shirt. Old you have a T-shirt, right? No, you've got. So you, you've got, t-shirt. you've got merch. You are the problem. I have merch, but we... you have merch as well. I don't. Me? No, Tom does. How dare you? What I merch? have a Hass keyring. <laughs> he has a Hass T-shirt as well. Have, I know you have a Hass T-shirt. Uh, 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 l- l- let me declare: this is not actually a fish. Official Hass merchandise. Oh, uh, okay. Mine's a fish. It is a fake. It is a fake. Believe me, Tom. 
Hello. Please put that has key ring on a set of car keys because the car will probably be faster than the uh, F1 car. It's not uh-huh. on my car keys, so egg on your face, sweetheart. <laughs> See ya. I, don't know. I don't know. What do we do? What do we do about this issue? We we complain and then we'll We're continue powerless. watching. Because that's who we are. Yeah. We'll write a very strong We're letter. Absolutely powerless. When, well, when, George, when George Russell gets boosted out in 12 months, he'll be like, who was George Russell? Like, <laughs> no! Uh, no, nah, nah, I'm sure he'll be fine. The thing is, though, what if... I mean, it's not going to happen, but what if Hamilton hasn't signed his contract because he's actually retiring at the end of this year? Russell's going to move up to Mercedes. Um, I, Angus, that would be great. I mean, that wouldn't be great. Like, I would be sad to see Lewis go, but if he did then go, it would be brilliant because then George could step right on up. But I don't think nope. that's the case Esteban because... Bottas no, could leave. I don't think that's Ocon's the case old because... News. old news. No, because... What are you saying? Wait! Ocon's old news. <laughs> Nobody. Ocon is like hated. I don't know. Why I don't he's like hated. Ocon. I don't Listen, like Ocon that much. If you don't like Ocon, <laughs> you'll find there's an email address at the bottom of the of the podcast. Email us in your reasons why you don't like Ocon because I no one really we knows. We can't work out why people hate Ocon. From my oh, perspective, he was doing pretty well in Racing Point, then got strolled on and left the sport, and now he's back in. And people are like, oh yeah. He can go shove, shove his head up his... To be fair, I, I don't have a reason for not liking him. I don't not like him. I, he's just not one of my favourite people. I mean, <laughs> you said last episode, Liv, you loved all of them equally, quote. Yes, no, I, was I talk- think that's no, something she did say. I was talking about the, the, the F2 graduates, actually. Oh, um, I'm, hearing, I'm hearing some... Uh... I was talking about the F2 graduates, about uh-huh. like Mick and Robert and Callum. Uh-uh-uh, I was talking oh, about the F2 graduates. first names like the are mates, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, know, you know how it is, you know how it is. <laughs> it's Mr. Ilot to you. Yeah, <laughs> Anyway, what I was actually going to say about Sorry. what me and Angus were talking about before an explosion of conversation. I was uh-huh. saying, yeah, you were saying about how there might be, if Lewis doesn't renew, there might be a space from there. I don't think that that would have been their route forward because of the fact, technically, George can sign for Williams next year. So Mercedes were not expecting and are not expecting him to come into that seat. Obviously, that might change, but I don't think that would have been their plan because I think they would have thought of something else because they were expecting, as we all were, including George Russell, that he would, George would be staying at Williams. So I don't think that um, Mercedes would have thought of that as an option for this year. Um, they might be yeah. thinking it now, but they've probably already sort of sorted it out. Also, they've the only scenes, not signed it? Hamilton because Hamilton won't sign because of the amount of money involved. But surely it makes yeah. way more sense for Bottas to leave in 2022 when the new... Yeah. rules come in and just bring Russell mm. up into the into the sport then the biggest yeah. problem is he's going to have a year gap so will Mercedes risk not having yeah. or bringing in a driver and I don't think they will but then again Wolf is quite clearly backing Russell yeah, but is, because is, he's the is, most is up him... and coming driver currently in Formula 1 yeah, but is him saying like oh you'll have a seat for next year is that not just the equivalent of don't worry George just everything's going to be alright it's like I don't know mm-hmm. how like, I'm not saying it's an empty promise but I mean he doesn't my response to that is Wolf worked with Ocon and Ocon now does have a seat. Yeah, so t- clearly... Toto is very good at being like, schmoozing. All the languages. But where are these seats going to be? That's what I'm thinking. It's just going to create a new <laughs> racing <laughs> team. You're going along the lines of Stewart or uh, McLaren or Williams. It's just going to be called Wolf. Wolf. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Um, anyway. This is the Wolf <laughs> Racing Team. 
That's actually very good. Thank you. Regardless of the off-track drama regarding George Russell, he actually said it was one of his best weekends in the sport so far. Now, two other drivers that have had great weekends can be considered winners from this weekend is Kimi Raikkonen and Pierre Gasly. Liv, take it away. Thank you. Yeah, I've been having a look at some drivers that may not have been the obvious winners, such as Lewis Hamilton, but some who have had really strong weekends and we should, we should, you know, talk about and congratulate them on. So I've actually got three here. I've added another one since we discussed earlier. Um, but yes, as you mentioned, my first one is Kimi Räikkönen. So just a quick summary. Kimi Räikkönen gained nine places in the opening lap. He even lost one at first, actually. So this is despite losing a place at first, at first, and then gaining nine. He ended up sixth at the end at the start of lap two as he passed Leclerc on the main straight, and he'd started sixteenth. So as he was starting lap two, he'd actually gained ten places. Um, he nearly actually got past Verstappen as well in turns like one to three on the second lap. He was really, really pressuring him. And you've got to think about the fact that Verstappen, as we can all see every week, is the, probably the third best driver there, probably the second actually. Um, on the grid and and you know Kimi Räikkönen was putting real pressure on him um, Verstappen was quite shocked to see him in his mirrors you know let's think about the kind of drivers that Kimi Räikkönen was passing during this streak of 10 of 10 places that he gained he was passing Vettel world champion he was he was passing Danny Rick he was passing Gasly he was passing Albon he was passing Leclerc all of these young up-and-coming talents as well in a car that really is one of the um, least strong on the grid he passed two Ferrari cars, so the same engines, but with a, well, I was going to say he's in the lesser car with that engine, but from what we've seen from Ferrari this year, maybe not. But the te- the cars and the drivers that he was passing was very, very unexpected for all of us. We've, we've gotten quite used to seeing him really in the bottom five of, of, the, um, of the grid um, and during the race. So really impressive stuff. I personally could not believe what I was seeing and everyone else was saying the same thing. It was people were talking about it all over Twitter. F1 were posting about uh, videos of that first two and a bit minutes where he had that fantastic run. And and I think Anthony Davison was talking at the end on that on his sky pad as he does and going through it and how impressive his driving actually was. You know, he has got that experience that so many other drivers don't have and it was clear to see. Um, in Portugal. However, he did end up finishing the race in 11th, which is really disappointing because after all that, absolutely no points. Um, It does show then that despite his talent, the car itself was not able to keep him in that position and those other drivers that he had overtaken, you know, their tyres did eventually warm up and and they got past. But what a spark of, you know, of genius from Raikkonen there. And I'm really excited that we got to see that because I feel like personally, I haven't seen that from him in a really, really long time. So I I would cast him as a bit of a winner. Pierre Gasly, as you mentioned as well, he did really well this weekend. He had a finish of fifth place. Um, he had um, a fourth a few weeks ago and obviously had his win. So he's had some really, really positive results. Uh, he started in ninth. So he did gain places there. And, you know, during the, during the race to get that fifth place, he passed the Renaults, he passed the McLarens, and he passed the one racing point that was still driving, Perez. Um, you know, that's three of... of um, Alpha Tauri's main rivals really those other three teams are doing a bit better so the fact that he you know he was able to get past those cars that are showing such epic speed at the moment such as the McLarens which we'll talk about in a minute a really impressive drive from Pierre he seems to be a lot more confident than he has in the past uh, making more daring moves and overtakes also then maintaining them once he's made them because obviously I've just spoken about Kimi Raikkonen and he you know made those moves but unfortunately he was unable to maintain those positions that he made up 
But we can't forget as well that Pierre Gasly's car was literally on fire on Friday. So his mechanics, you know, we give a shout out to them for getting his car completely, you know, ready to race on, on Sunday. And that got him into a really, really strong position, you know, just outside those top four strongest cars. I'm sure that, that you know, Gasly's success will spark a bit of discussion shortly, you know, on Gasly's seat for next year. Um, although it is worth noting that uh, Helmut Marco has said that Gasly will be staying put in Alpha Tauri. That was something they was heard saying. And Christian Horner has even added that the Alpha Tauri car is, quote, easier to drive and Gasly would be in the same difficulty as Albon if the two swapped. So he's said he's not, he seems to be against the fact that if they put Gasly in the Red Bull, he would suddenly be incredible. I think they're saying that second seat, you know, it's going to be difficult whoever's in it. Um, so it'll be interesting to see you know, how that all plays out. But it seems to me, it seems the case, to, like I'm from what we've seen on news articles and from what Helmut Marko is saying, that Gasly will be staying in that seat, but it's just a matter of who will be with him. But on a whole, going back to the topic of, of conversation, he did have a very strong weekend and therefore I would see him as a winner. Finally, um, quick mention to Carlos Sainz. We cannot ignore the fact that this man literally led the race <laughs> for four laps. It was incredible. He started in seventh place and by the end of that first lap, he was second only behind Bottas, who he overtook just shortly after. Um, the speed of that McLaren was obviously highly impressive at the start of the race. Lando Norris reached P4. Um, obviously, unfortunately, neither of them were able to maintain their places. Um, Sainz finished P6 in the end. But what a start. And it just really shows, you know, not only um, Carlos Sainz's skill, but the pace of the McLaren car. And it makes it really exciting. I can't wait to see Daniel Ricciardo in that car next year. But again, Carlos Sainz... What he didn't he wasn't able to maintain it, but there's no real surprise there. Of course, the two Mercedes drivers were going to get past. I mean, that was no doubt in that whatsoever. But on a whole, very impressive stuff from him. So I would also consider him a winner. So it, question for you guys: ignoring the obvious answer, Lewis Hamilton, who was the biggest winner for you, and who impressed you this weekend? For me, it's got to be Pierre Gasly. Uh, the man has been in inspired form. Uh, this entire season, looking at the entire 12 races, going all the way back to the start at Austria, there's only been four occasions where he's not scored points, two of which are where he actually retired, um, and we saw it um, the Tuscan Grand Prix through no fault of his own. He's had a brilliant season, winning at Italy at Monza, and then getting a fifth place at Portugal. He's really showing his quality uh, for the future. And I, I, I understand why you'd say someone like Raikkonen had a good race because he showed once again that he has the ability uh, to race at the top level and the spark hasn't exactly gone or isn't slowing down as many such as myself thought. But he's definitely the biggest winner, that is Pierre Gasly, over Raikkonen and Carlos Sainz. I mean, Carlos Sainz has been doing well, but a sixth at Portugal, that's probably pretty standard for McLaren on their day. So he's not really defying the odds with that one. But looking at someone like Pierre Gasly in that uh, Alpha Tauri car, don't get me wrong, it's considered a um, sister team to uh, Red Bull, as I've touched upon multiple times. But Alpha Tauri are currently seventh in the drivers in in the constructors' standing. Sorry, behind Ferrari, we doesn't look like that gap will actually be closed or they'll leap them in the future. But the fact that he's driving a car which is that far down in the pecking order and scoring so highly and finishing so highly in the top ten is quite remarkable. I part of me is interested, intrigued at the fact that. Other teams aren't looking at him, looking forwards. Perhaps maybe not next season, but the season after. I think 
being part of Alpha Tauri and by extension the sort of Red Bull family, you're very much locked into this sort of A A team or B team. I mean, they'd say they're equal teams, but sure. I think to be honest, Pierre Gasly should break free um of that sort of constraint to the family. Don't get me wrong, the Alpha Tauri team has supported him greatly. But I think it's got to the point where he's better than Alpha Tauri, with all respect to them, and he deserves a chance uh, at a team that trusts him. Uh, and he's shown that this season. Fair play to him. Had an absolute shocker of a season last season in both the Toro Rosso and the Red Bull racing car. He's defied all the odds. He's convinced me, who was a sceptic of him, that he's a really quality driver. The fact that uh, on the last lap or so, I believe, uh, with Perez, he was able to have such quick reactions to avoid what could have been a crash after Perez was a bit aggressive, shall we say, when he was on the defence. It's, to me, the sign of a quality driver who has natural raw talent for driving and competitive driving at that. Um, fair play to him, yeah. Definitely my winner of the race. I would say my winner of the race is Charles Leclerc. I think that he's he's having a phenomenal year. There's actually quite a few, thinking about it, there's quite a few drivers who are having phenomenal years this year. Uh, one of them being Charles Leclerc, who just continues to outperform what's possible in his Ferrari car, um, just plucking results, really. Not out of nowhere, but he's kind of going under the radar with sort of how how well he's driving. Ones that stand out include both the podiums he's got somehow. He's got two podiums in that dog of a Ferrari this year. And then again, uh, in Portugal, managing to qualify fourth, out-qualifying the second Red Bull of Albon, um, out-qualifying as well the very fast racing point of Sergio Perez. Um, And then being able to maintain that place in the race, yes, he was helped by Perez dropping down the field, and realistically, Perez would have been too fast for him in normal circumstances. But still, Leclerc managing to... Just do everything right. Just not put a foot wrong. Just look after the tyres well. Wasn't too far away from Max Verstappen in the end. Off another podium. Um, so yeah, for me, just I mean, obviously Gasly is a, makes a very um, good case to be uh, the, win, the main winner of the weekend. He drove exceptionally. Um, his confidence right now, it looks since that win at Monza, his confidence has gone on upwards trajectory. So he definitely makes a strong case. But for me, Charles Leclerc just outperforming that Ferrari car whilst his teammate Sebastian Vettel struggles um, to even get in the points. He only just snatched 10th uh, in the latter stages in last weekend's race. Um, so for me, the winner of the weekend was Charles Leclerc. I find myself to be in a really weird position because Pierre Gasly, oh, he's been on fine form and deserves all the admiration that we're giving him on this podcast. That is for sure. And Charles Leclerc, God, he's making his Ferrari look amazing and as you said, Angus, he's getting these results. He does not deserve the results. The Ferrari does not deserve the results. And I really don't have a, I don't really have a biggest winner. I'm rooting for all of those drivers equally, all the up and coming ones. Um, and, but, but for me, the best moment of the entire race was that, that 6% of the total race distance in which Carlos Sainz was in the lead. Because, it was magic as a McLaren fan watching that orange car just overtake the Mercedes like it was a, like, I don't know, like it's a Toro Rosso or a Williams and punch out into the lead. And I don't care they lost it because it, it showed potential there. And too many years we watched McLaren at the back of the pack. When I went to see the Hockenheim race a couple of years back, watching 
their dog of a car trail at the back with a really angry looking Fernando Alonso and Jensen Button in it and to watch them go from zero to hero is just magic and it only lasted a few laps we we knew it would only last a few laps but it was a magical few laps that demonstrated that there is still a bit of hope for the team and that the potential is there for them to do good in the future so that was my favourite bit yeah me too and yeah thanks Angus for mentioning Charles Leclerc what what a great point he he as you say which I was obvious proof of that people seem to look over the fact of what he's doing <laughs> like we know there was no quite there's not quite the same response oh my god Carlos got into P1 um Gasly got into into fifth it was kind of like oh well done Leclerc's done that again but you're right when you think about it like it is I mean he's done an incredible job and and you know even Vettel himself is saying like what the hell like this is an unnatural difference he is doing so well with that car so yeah big up Charles Leclerc as well he's he's seriously doing very well and it's a shame really that he he is burdened with that car because if he's doing that well with it like how well could he do in a Mercedes do you know what I mean or Red Bull interesting um so yeah good point thank you and now on to the flip side the losers of this weekend uh Tristan I believe you're going to take us through drivers such as Lance Stroll and Alex Albon well Less so of Alex Albon, because I, I don't want to just rant about the the losers too much. So I'm just going to talk about the biggest loser, in my opinion, which is which is Lance Stroll. That's only biggest loser in terms of his poor performance before uh, Papa Stroll decides to send a cease and desist letter to this podcast for libel. Uh, so given that at the start of the race, Stroll made up a few places. Right? He started off in 12 and he charged through the pack and by lap 18 he had made it to 8th, which is actually really good. Credit where credit's due, he was doing very well. No libel for me, please. And he was quickly catching up to Lando Norris, who was also having quite a good race in the second McLaren, although nothing on the first McLaren, which had briefly gone to first. And this is when Stroll's, let's say, lack of experience, although he's been racing for his entire life, and this is his like third year in the se- in the sport. Mm-hmm. This is when Stroll's lack of experience really began to show. I'm being nice to him, by the way. I hope you appreciate that, Lance. Instead of planning how he was going to overtake Norris, and which direction he was going to go around the McLaren, on the start-finish straight, Norris swung his car over to the left-hand side of the track. Now, this would give Norris the turn one advantage. And instead of going right and going around the McLaren on its right-hand side, Stroll decides he also wants to go left and runs over half the curb. And by the time that Stroll and Norris get to turn one... Stroll and Norris both want to hit the racing line, but to hit the racing line, Stroll has to go through Norris. And of course, you can't do that, which means Stroll just crashed into him. And this isn't the first time this weekend that Stroll decided to ruin his own day, as during free practice too, him and Verstappen crashed into each other because, again, neither driver had the forethought to calculate how best to manoeuvre around each other without colliding and so Stroll ends up in the pit stop to repair his car and to compound compound the issue he then gets a five cent second penalty due to hitting Norris 
And instead of getting his head down and trying to catch back up to the, the pack in a normal legal manner, he decides to exceed track limits. And in Formula 1, in this race, if you exceed track limits three times, you get a black and white flag, which is basically a pre-warning of stop going across the track in an illegal manner and making up time. And Stroll decides to ignore that black and white flag and keep exceeding track limits. So what happens? He gets another five second penalty. So not only is he last, but he's also last with multiple five second penalties. So he's not just last, he's like worse than last. Um, I, I believe that he would be outside, if this was a qualifying, the margin of qualification, which means he'd be disqualified for the race. That's how far behind the rest of the pack he is at this point. It's It was ridiculous. So he ruined his own day and he ruined his Norris's day as well by just not thinking ahead. And so, yes, Lance Stroll is the biggest loser. They retired him. He got Albond. The team gave up and they, they said, ah, oh, well, we retired him because of uh, extensive damage to the car. Well, of course, there's extensive damage to the car. Lance Stroll decided to test the structural rigidity of the car by impacting it onto Norris's car. There's going to be damage there. So, yeah, he's the biggest loser. Albon didn't do great either. Well, look, let's if we, okay. Let's talk about Albon for a second then. Let's talk okay. about Albon. So, Alex Albon started off in sixth place. Before the race, I put on our group chat, basically, all Albon needs to do is prove, to prove himself is come in the top ten. Often drivers drop back because of things outside of their control, but ideally mm -hmm. he comes in the top 10. Within the first three laps, he got down to 13th place. Alex Albon, unfortunately, is further demonstrating to Helmut Marco that he is not on the same level as Max Verstappen. In fact, post-race, a someone very nicely calculated the average difference between Max Verstappen and Alex Albon. And it both Alex Albon and Pierre Gasly at their time in Red Bull are now about half a second behind Max Verstappen. So the nails are getting hammered into Alex Albon's coffin. And I think mm. unless he makes at least two to three more podiums, that lid's going to go down forever. And it and whether or not Alex Albon gets given another seat will entirely depend on whether or not Daniel Kvyat stays in AlphaTauri. And it's not a nice thing to say, but... I fear currently for Alex Albon's future, but I don't think Alex Albon is the biggest loser yet because he's still got the Red Bull seat. If Alex Albon had lost his seat as well as performing poorly, then I don't. Th I then um, I, I think he'd be the biggest loser. But given that Stroll has failed to get a single point in the last three races. I think we can say that he's currently the biggest loser. Yeah. I completely understand where you're coming from, although I think it's well known to us four as well as the F1 community that watches the races religiously. They already know that Lance Stroll is, to put it plainly, not a good driver. And it is, he's in a car that is way above his ability. I'd say that Albon is conversely the biggest loser because I think this is it for him, really. Realistically, sure, he could get a few more podiums in theory, but look how he's been racing this season. He's only got one podium in his entire career. Granted, he should have got two um, at the steering Grand Prix, the second Austrian one, um, if Hamilton hadn't have um, collided with him. But looking back at the Eiffel Grand Prix, the 
the issues he was having on track, the unforced errors, the, the example being when he sliced across, I think it was Kvyat from memory, could be wrong, feel free to look that one up, uh, he sliced across uh, another driver, his wing, his front wing came off, and that was him having to go for another pit stop, a, a un, unforced error, uh, which resulted in his race basically being cancelled. Once again, we're seeing today, qualifies in the top 10 in 6th place and goes down all the way to 12th. This just plainly isn't good enough for Red Bull. Granted, yes, he's been put into the situation, I think, far too early. He was put into the Red Bull car, the second best car or third best car last season, if we're being pedantic about speed and overall performance as opposed to how it was applied he was put in one of the best cars in his first year in formula one and he was able to perform well in that car at the back end of that season but carrying that on for an entire season is a different beast and a different kettle of fish altogether and to be honest looking at his inability to turn those qualifying records and his where he's been in terms of place into a race finish i just kind of feel it's over for him as jolian palmer said it's the final nail in the coffin for alex albon and looking at how he's performed and looking at the races that are coming up i just can't see a scenario in which alex albon is in that second red bull seat come next season yeah he hasn't lost it yet though that's why he's not the biggest loser well yes okay sure you're gonna get the i think we should come back to your point at the end of the season but given I'm just talking about this race Lance Stroll was the biggest loser in the race Alex Albon at least crossed the finish line sure sure but do we know for sure that regardless of the PR and the official statements from Marco and Horner and all those guys at Red Bull that Alex Albon's career isn't over realistically I think um, (laughs) I would agree that Stroll was the biggest loser and I think not only because of the result you just need to stop there Liv you just need to stop there just the agree bit (laughs) <laughs> but also because of yeah the way that he went about ending up um, um, not finishing the race is the way that he went about it and causing incidents and yeah I, I 100% agree that it was him on the note of Albon it wasn't his best race um, and yes he probably is one of the losers but I wouldn't say he's the biggest loser and talking about his future I I think that it's certainly likely that he might not keep his seat, but obviously we don't know anything at the moment. Uh, I do feel kind of knowing Tom's point, but obviously we'll talk about it more when we know stuff. But I do have a feeling, sadly, that Albon might be one of those where once he's lost the seat in F1, I don't know if he would come back. I, I see someone like George, heaven forbid, if we did lose him for the next season, I see him coming back. I don't know if I see Albon coming back after losing an F1 seat. I see him going to Formula E. I see him going to you know GT or World Endurance, but I don't know if I see him coming back, which is why it's so paramount in my mind that I'm so keen for him to get that second Alpha Tauri seat because I think once he's gone, he's gone. But that's a whole nother, <laughs> whole nother conversation that we can have once once we we know what's happening. I have a question for you, mm-hmm. especially for Angus, given that he hasn't weighed up in on this yet. But yeah, go Angus. Um, when you're talking about how we want to see drivers come back, if I could give you a, a an Uno reverse card that would reverse the decision to boot someone out to save them. Who would you save? What over the last few years? Was any driver that's been kicked out over the last yeah. few years? Well, I'm more talking about the ones that we think might be leaving. But who, who would oh, you right save? Right now, it's got to be Perez. So I, I, I love Sergio Perez. I've decided <laughs> so, it's got to be him. I, I, the man, the man is a god. Like, yeah, it has to be saved. He's, he's just like performance after performance this year. He's just, he's just 
he's just at that top, top level. And yeah, I think he's, he's doing fantastically. See, I thought you would say Perez. And yeah. this links me on to what Tom was talking about. If at the end of this season, Perez and Albon lose their seat, who's the biggest loser? Ooh. Perez. I'd say Perez. Because, because, because he'll have had 10 years in F1 and the, the amount of disrespect. It would be an incredible disrespect if he had a 10-year Formula 1 career and then he was just booted out for... And people on the people were on the grid like Stroll, like Nikita Mazepin, in, or something like that. <laughs> instead of instead of a guy who has over a decade proven his worth, got got eight podiums in a car that's never been more than like the fourth or fifth fastest. Like I like it would it would show the disrespect really. I, I think he'd be definitely the bigger loser. I I would say that it would be Albon because I'm switching it around. Uh, if they were both to be dropped, Perez has enjoyed well. Mainly enjoy, yeah, he's enjoyed a 10 year career in F1. It would be for me, make Albon the biggest loser because he finally had this exciting chance, was thrown in a terrifyingly, you know, dodgy team <laughs> in the sense that the way that they treat their drivers put in under a lot of pressure, kicked out, and then may not ever return. And like that's that, that little kid's dream. At least Perez has had that time in the sport. Um, so I would say that. I would find Albon the biggest loser because it's just been a it would just be a roller coaster a couple of years of him suffering <laughs> and being thrown into the deep end and then being shunted for not being good enough when they put him in that situation in the first place and then maybe not ever getting a seat again. I'd find that very sad because you know if he'd look back a few years he probably would have never thought it would have happened that way. So and so ends episode 16 of F1 in Review. Thank you very much, dear listener, for once again listening to the end of an F1 in Review episode. Today we've spoken about the record-breaking Lewis Hamilton. 92 race wins to his name. He has finally surpassed the record set by Michael Schumacher long ago. How many can he win? And if he's able to smash that record completely and that of the Drivers' Championship record, which Schumacher currently holds, if he beats the Magic 7, will he be considered the greatest of all time? Will the debate end? Probably not, but it's good to talk about it. Secondly, we spoke about Sergio Perez, the man currently still without a seat for the 2021 season. Uh, Did remarkably well in the Portuguese Grand Prix. So well, in fact, he finished in seventh place uh, after the spin on the first lap featuring Max Verstappen able to climb back from the very back of the grid all the way to seventh place. But what will this do for his future? Will he be taking the seat of George Russell? We've been discussing that today. Only time will tell. Uh, Thirdly, we spoke about the winners of the Portuguese Grand Prix. We spoke about Kimi Raikkonen, Pierre Gasly and Carlos Sainz, a man who actually led the Portuguese Grand Prix for four laps. An impressive achievement at that. And finally, we spoke about the losers of the Portuguese Grand Prix. Lance Stroll was on our lips and so was Alex Albon. Um, Not a great weekend for either of the drivers. What will this mean for their future? I guess in the end, only time will tell with that one. We'll be back for episode 17 and we very much look forward to you tuning in next time. No race next week? No, we're at Imola this week. Yeah, there's a race, isn't there? Yeah. Two-day week. Imola. Oh, yes, because oh, yeah, free practice is, yeah, also this, on This will be, if this weekend goes well, and hopefully, I don't know about you guys, I think practice is boring, so I'm in favour of just like one practice session on Saturday, and then straight into qualifying, which is, I think is what they're doing this weekend.